0: Donio, the VP of uh, Strategic Alliance at Metaco. Metaco. Talks is a bi weekly discussion of topical issues and thought leadership uh, in the digital asset space and cryptocurrencies. It's a live stream conversation, it's meant to be interactive. Um, so we do have uh, the, the chat lines open. So please ask questions. Please feel free to ask questions. The recordings afterwards can be found on our website and will also be available on YouTube, Apple's podcast, and Spotify. Please subscribe so you can join our future events. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review. Now, today's discussion, very happy to have um, Alexander Bechtel, uh, who will discuss the crypto business case for a bank. Um, Alexander is the head of DLT and digital asset strategy at Deutsche Bank. Till last August, Alex was studying and teaching at the University of St. Gallen. He's been an external consultant to the ECB and a visiting researcher at Stanford University. And he's given up his life of academia to steer one of the largest banks towards its digital asset future. Welcome, Alex. Thanks a lot for having me, (laughs) Seamus. So, I would love to hear your journey from academic. And I think I've probably mentioned here also that you're on the opposite side of the, the, let's say the mic this time, you also have your own podcast called Bitcoin, Fiat and rock and roll. How you've gone from those roles to now a senior banker focused on crypto and DLT.
1: Yeah. So my my plan was actually always to stay in academia and become a professor. And I invested a lot of time into my PhD in order to make this happen. So I think my PhD took me at least five years and usually if you plan to go back to business after your PhD, you usually do this in three years. So it was not the most intelligent thing to do, to say, <laughs> dude, let, let's stay in academia and, and invest five years and then uh, go back to, to business anyway. But I mean, um, I, I started working on these topics also from an academic side, digital currencies, blockchain, et cetera, like two or three years ago. And I realized that there is so much happening in the business currently. And I think my impact can be way bigger on the business side than on the academic side, because academia, unfortunately, is always four to five years behind the, the business side. So f- that was one main reason for me why I decided to let's uh, drop the academic career and and start a career in banking and, and try to, as you said, uh, steer a, a big ship like Deutsche Bank into the digital asset and currency world.
0: And how is, how is that transition moving from academia to one of the world's largest banks? I mean, now you're now effectively steering the super tanker. Is it a bit of a culture shock?
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, my, my day-to-day work has changed massively. I mean, before I was most of the day sitting in front of my laptop and thinking, basically, right? uh, doing data analysis, coding, and now most of my day is sitting in calls, which I don't like that much, to be honest, so I always try to block enough time and because actually the actual work is, is still the thinking, I believe. And um, I always try to keep the calls as short as possible. But that's definitely something that has changed way more um, managing and talking and, and less thinking. And I'm trying to come back a bit more towards the, the thinking part.
0: Of course. I mean, and how difficult do you think, would you say it is to do something truly really innovative in a large, large organization, a large bank as, as, you're, as you're at now? Yeah.
1: So, so what I've realized is that this massively depends on the, the leaders in the bank. And, and I'm very happy that I have someone like Stefan Hoops within the corporate bank of, of Deutsche Bank, who, who is really becoming a thought leader currently when it comes to uh, blockchain and, and crypto. Um, so he's, he's brave enough to say, I have understood that there is something serious going on and uh, it's time to, to react or maybe even act as a bank. And we need to get active and dive into that space.
0: And what we, when we obviously, as a company, we talk to a lot of banks, and one of the things we always hear them struggle with is building the, the business case to get in this space. I mean, this, and obviously that's one of the topics we had in the title. Um, how has is, how is Deutsche Bank gone over some of the hurdles we always hear about the reputational risk of Bitcoin? Um, it's, you know, it's too speculative. It's not a store of wealth. I mean, there's many arguments. There's let's call there's a lot of FUD. Um, and obviously, we've seen a lot of other your peers come to the market. They've addressed that. How has how Deutsche Bank addressed that?
1: Yeah so so i wouldn't i wouldn't say that we have already completely overcome this so we are still of yes. course f- struggling and and fighting with these with these problems it's and these are still hurdles for us uh, in particular since we are such a huge institution so i mean our our long term plan is always we we think beyond uh, crypto right we want to be mm. want to play a part in this i would call it general tokenized assets and currency world um, and I believe that there will be a, a bigger role to play in this world than the pure crypto world for for banks. But still, there is for sure also a role in the crypto world. But as you've said, when we talk about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, it's less the problem that we need to get used to the technology. It's really more that we kind of need to get around these AML CFT ish- issues, right? Where does the yep. coin come from? Who has held it? What do we need to know in order to to accept the, uh, the the token? And these are really things we are we are working hard on and at the moment. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we've heard basically. I mean, there's some, obviously some great tools out there for chain forensics, but I think that the question is how to how to use how to assess the risks based on that information, which is still a learning a learning phase for all yeah, the banks. It seems.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, I have to be honest. We are at Deutsche. We are really at this at the start of this journey. So we have started working on this more or less last August, and we are still in this learning phase. I mean, we have decided that this is an important topic, and we have started the learning phase, but uh, we are still in the midst of it. I would say.
0: Just just interrupt the question here, we've got, just got a question. How do you manage innovative projects in a large organization so that they're not killed off by what he describes as the corporate immune system?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of goes into the direction um, of what I've said earlier, that uh, I think what's necessary in such a big institution as Deutsche Bank is that the leaders of the bank um, are in, right? It, I think it's really, really tough if you work against your, your upper management. And that's something, by the way, uh, I I made clear before I started here. So so the deal was actually I joined Deutsche and I said, let's maybe wait for three to four months before we uh, talk about my contract. So I actually started uh, working there three to four months without um, um, talking about any contract or pay, because I wanted to make sure that exactly this does not happen, that I run against walls for years. So I said, "Let's, let's get to know each other for three to four months. And I want to make sure that uh, you are actually serious about going into uh, blockchain and and um, cryptocurrencies and, and digital assets. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm still there as you see. So I, I'm convinced actually that in particular, the, the, the top management uh, in the corporate bank is serious about it and that I won't run against walls. And I mean, I can tell you a lot has happened within Deutsche Bank over the last months already. So I'm happy w- with how it's going
0: what maybe start start talking about it more specifically what's, what are the catalysts? I mean to what degree is this getting involved, driven by um, peers moving, client demand, uh, or as you say, just having a vision of, of uh, a future opportunity. I mean, what is what? What's driving the media business plan and uh, catalyst to get, get moving? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I always like to joke that it's that it's only me who who kind of um, <laughs> made, made this all possible within Deutsche. That's so much has happened over the last months. But uh, to be honest, I <laughs> think ninety five percent is just the market sentiment and the clients. So yeah, I mean, starting with the Bitcoin price, with which went through the roof over the last yeah. months, and. I mean, of course, I think it's, it's not a, a secret if I tell you that, of course, also our clients um, get in touch with us and ask mm-hmm. us whether they can store their Bitcoins with us. I mean, we have many companies now starting to, think, to thinking about uh, tokenizing assets, uh, which of course, contact us and say, let's do something together. So there is so much happening in the space. And so not only externally, but also internally, people are realizing um, we need to get active. And this, of course, helps me a lot in driving these topics internally.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I imagine we've seen a lot of banks look at, I guess, Bitcoin specifically as kind of a bolt-on asset, another product they can offer. But I I think you you mentioned basically looking at tokenization. So, you know, I mentioned the core proposition around banks has really been around trust, you know, intermediation, balance sheet. How do those, how do you look at that and what's happening in this new space, potentially moving from what, what's the financial system is really based on trust, you know, intermediation. We have all these exchanges everybody else because we have no way to trade with each other. And now with the whole sort of DeFi stack, still early, but maturing. And you can see where it's going, potentially introducing a stack that's trustless, that, you know, you can have peer-to-peer trading peer-to-peer lending peer-to-peer deposits many of the functions the banks do how does the how does the business how do you how does the bank look at that business model potentially evolving
1: yeah so so that's a good question because in the end i mean blockchain is a direct attack to any intermediary including or mainly mainly financial intermediaries and the question is of course can financial is there a role to play for financial intermediaries uh, in the future in, in, in the future financial system and I believe, I believe there is an important role. Otherwise, I would not have joined Deutsche Bank recently. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm also convinced that the role financial intermediaries, not only banks, but financial intermediaries in general, is going to change the role uh, these institutions play. And I think it's, it's one of the most important questions banks have to ask themselves, which role do I want to play in, in such a system? Because as you said, I mean, a fr- certain fraction of borrowing lending will be decentralized. Clearing and settlement will be decentralized. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I, I do not believe that we will wake up tomorrow and financial intermediaries will be gone. Right. So th- this whole space is very experimental. It's super exciting, and I mean, if 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 DeFi enables us to make our financial system more democratic and efficient, I, I'm all in for it. Right. I think it does not make sense to endlessly improve the carriage if the car is around the corner. But but the question I'm always ask myself is it really that DeFi is the car and the current, more centralized financial system is the carriage, or is this maybe a bit too simplistic? And there is actually a good or there are good reasons for both of them coexisting, right? And this is actually where I'm going, but I believe at least for for quite some time, DeFi might have a role in the system, but also CFI, so centralized finance uh, might have a role in the system. And you see this already today. I mean, the main means of payment that's used in the DeFi world are centralized stable coins, right? Very true. There are of course also decentralized stable coins around the corner, but I mean currently we're using Tether, we're using USDC, um, etc. So so I'm convinced actually that um, many DeFi users in the future will use trusted third parties to store their tokens, for instance, right? So I think there is a a there are good reasons for CFI and DeFi to coexist. <laughs>
0: I think I have very much the same view around the the coexistence and the need for trusted counterparties. I mean, not not everybody wants to manage their own keys. As much as that's the theme, not your coins, not your keys, yeah. it's a lot of responsibility, and it's not trivial. It's still a fairly complicated exercise. I think having always having the option to manage your own keys is also a way to keep the system a bit more honest. Let's say, let's go, yep. go check on the system. Um, you mentioned stablecoins. So, how do you how does how do you look at that space evolving from the banking perspective? Because when I look at I think there was a McKinsey, McKinsey banking study last year about payments and they talked about globally and Europe, Europe in specific, about 40% of bank earnings comes from payments. I would imagine looking at uh, stable coins, that could be fairly disruptive there. What's, how do you think that's going to play?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly how we look at it. So when we talk about stable coins, we mainly look through the payment glasses on this, on this topic. And yeah, I mean, stable coins are a nice way of bringing our current fiat monetary system into into the defi or blockchain world and we believe that this might be a role banks will be playing in the future as well either by issuing their own stable coin or by at least offering payment solutions for existing stablecoins. And this might even be a, a CBDC in the end, right? So for instance, our, our customers are, I mean, I wouldn't say that they are cu- coming, that we have a lot of customers coming to us with this topic, but this is something the industry is, is communicating um, that parts of their business processes might be running via a blockchain in the future. So there is a business process. And at some point in this process, there is a smart contract which triggers a payment. And I usually use an example uh, by Bosch, when there is a, an autonomously driving car, driving to a charging station, recharging, and at the end of the charging process, the car actually pays the charging station. So a classical machine-to-machine payment, maybe this is going to run via a blockchain or a DLT in the future. And the problem is today, it's, it's not possible to make the car pay this um, payment with a euro or a US dollar. Yep. And we basically have two solutions um, to make this happen. So one thing we can do is to say, let's build a technical bridge or an adapter between the smart contract and our current payment rails, such that the smart contract can actually communicate with SEPA, tips, target, whichever system is used in the end. And that's something we we are working on. And I think this is a very interesting um, solution because I believe it addresses most of the use cases we have in mind uh, currently. But then, of course, the more elegant and frictionless um, solution to this problem would be to say, I mean, the smart contract sits on a blockchain, what the smart contract can do, it can move around tokens, right? So why can't we also bring the euro and the US dollar as a token onto this blockchain to make it really frictionless uh, and to to let that smart contract actually settle this payment? And then I believe we're in this stablecoin world where we say we somehow need to repackage our euro, which we as banks are already issuing and make it available as a token uh, on j- on chain.
0: So it's really kind of the view about programmable money in many ways, right? Absolutely. And and how do you how do you see basically um, I think there's many theses about around how the stablecoin market will evolve. We've got obviously the you know things like Tether is obviously the largest, has a lot of traction in particular in Asia, although there's some concerns about the credibility of it. Um, you know, um, and then we have things like the, you know, Circles, Circles USDC, uh, JP Morgan's coin. So a lot of different ways. And then we have Asia or the DCEP project out of China. So CBDC, which is, you know, very much, uh, I would say if I'm a little critical, very much about surveillance and control. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how across the spectrum of options is potentially a stable coin that's privately backed by US dollars is actually a way to sustain the kind of US dollar or basically fiat, the Western fiat system. Or is that what's going to, is that the way we're going to go? Or is there going to be something more kind of centrally sort of surveillance, sort of dystopic sort of uh, potential of of a Chinese solution.
1: Yeah. So so I always like to distinguish um, between, when I talk about digital currencies, I always like to distinguish between three versions or forms of digital currencies. and they can be nicely distinguished when you look at the issuer. Uh, so we have mm. currently we have digital currencies that, that are issued by the state or by central banks. This would be CBDC, right? We yep. have digital currencies that are issued by the private sector. So this includes the stable coins you've mentioned, Tether, et cetera, something like DM, and maybe in the future also bank issued stable coins. And then a third version is like a, a form of a digital currency without an issuer, which would be the decentralized uh, cryptocurrencies like, like Bitcoin, right? And, and again, coming back to the theme of coexistence, I believe that all three are going to coexist in the future, hopefully solving different uh, use cases, right? We have Bitcoin. I mean, you can debate about what Bitcoin exactly is, but it could be something like digital gold or a decentralized form of a, of a payment. You have the private stable coins where for sure Tether is going to play a role. Maybe also banks are going to play a role in the future. And then you have the, the CBDCs, which are, which are issued by the state. And I'm always a, a um, a propo- uh, an opponent of saying it's really important that when we talk about cbdc that we think about which issues are CBDCs trying to solve and I believe it makes no sense if cbdc becomes a means of another digital means of payment that enables us to that gives us maybe the the seventh checkout option on Amazon uh, so just to have another option to pay digitally I think this is not interesting right I think cbdc should try to solve problems that are not being solved by the the private sector or public sector today. And I always think of mainly two things, which is we cannot pay offline digitally. That's one thing that's just not possible today. And we cannot pay anonymously uh, digitally currently. And when, whenever someone asks me, why do we need a CBDC, I always usually bring up these two points because this is something the private sector is not offering today. And I also do not believe that the private sector is going to offer anonymity and offline payments in the future because you cannot earn money with it. It's not something you can monetize, right? So that's actually a classical, I would call it market failure, right? The private sector has no incentive to offer offline payments or, or anonymous payments. And that's a classical task of the, of the central bank in the end then.
0: It'll be interesting to see how they address that anonymous payments. I mean, as much as it's a market failure, it's also a technical hurdle, This offline payments from a, from a digital perspective as well. Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. So I'm, so I'm actually, I'm working with some colleagues, I'm working on a paper uh, where we try to propose a way to enable anonymous payments. And at the same time, and that's actually the difficult part, because actually our digital payments, uh, digital anonymous payments are possible already today. Look at Ccash, for instance, What's right. not possible is digital anonymous payments that are regulatory compliant, in the sense that you need a certain threshold probably, and if you cross that threshold, the anonymity is anonymity is gone, right? And that's actually the difficult part. Make it anonymous until a certain threshold, let's say ten thousand euro, and if you're across ten thousand, it's it's not anonymous anymore, and that's the difficulty.
0: We had one question here. Why why haven't we mentioned dive anything about programmatic, uh, you know?
1: Decentralized stable coins? Yeah, no, that's exactly. So, we had this, this topic. So, currently, uh, mainly Tether and USDC are used in the DeFi world. But I think if, you, if you're if really consequential and say, I'm in for DeFi, you should use DAI and not, uh, not Tether mm-hmm. and USDC. So, I'm, I'm totally, totally, I totally agree here. Yeah.
0: So, we, you know, we talked about tokenization of payments, but someone's also asked us here do we see an opportunity for offering new asset classes through
1: tokenization? And how do you identify these opportunities? Yeah, so so that's exactly what we are actually looking for as a bank and we believe that this is going to be the the most interesting thing happening in in banking, or at least I believe that this is going to be the most interesting thing happening in in banking over the next 10 to 15 years that we will start to tokenize um, everything maybe Uh, so. We are not talking only about tangible assets but you could also think about intangible assets right yeah. future earnings i mean i believe there have been nba players in the in the us right tokenizing their future expected income selling it immediately you could think about students tokenizing their future earnings and like this financing their studies so i mean almost anything anything is possible and i mean how do we identify the 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 possibilities i mean on the one hand we have customers and also partners that are approaching us with ideas of course and on the other hand we are brainstorming here in-house and 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 think about what's what's the most interesting interesting thing for us i mean i believe this this market is extremely nascent there is not much going on we're in a testing phase currently but uh, we definitely plan to be part of this testing phase and, and get prepared for for hopefully when the market then flies at some point yeah
0: that makes a lot of sense. I think we have very similar visions about what you can do potentially longer term with tokenization. Um, you know, we see, we obviously see a lot of publicity around potentially tokenizing security markets. I mean, I would think for most of the Western world security markets work pretty well. I mean, is, is that really the, the, from a is that one of the end games is tokenizing the corporate structures we know or is it really about potentially using the whole concept of DAOs and um, how you could actually reinvent the corporate structure altogether basically through the space?
1: yeah so so that's a difficult question so first i believe that we will like classical equity or stocks will be the, the, the last assets we are tokenizing because as you said this market is working very smoothly a lot of liquidity it's fast mm. it's cheap so there is well, very little incentive to tokenize this market so i think we will begin with less liquid assets maybe things that are not even tradable today Um yeah. so that's definitely something that is going to happen now the question is of course how does the market infrastructure look like in the future so will it be completely decentralized will it be centralized and maybe still organized by by exchanges with i mean per, on permission maybe environments where certain banks and actors can can join to trade and that's for me a, an open question and i mean if any one of the listeners has a good answer please uh, get in touch with me because that this is also something i'm i'm wrapping my my head around um, i mean i believe for quite some time both is going to develop in parallel. And I'm not sure if any of the two like a more centralized trading venues and completely decentralized venues are, are, be, are becoming the winner or if this is also coexisting in, in the future.
0: I mean, one of the questions was exactly that. How, how will DB work with DeFi? I mean, I, one of the things I've often wondered is if you have this trusted infrastructure, but as you say, you have the ability, um, there still be a need for trust, trusted counterparties. Is there is that a bridge? For your clients into that space and you can move you can shift your model that isn't so much balance sheet focused, is much more fee based is that not a potentially a better model in the future
1: yeah and i think i think something that's really important to understand is that our clients i mean i'm, I'm coming from the corporate bank so i'm when i talk about clients it's mainly corporates right and right. corporates are not interested in doing all these financial like borrowing lending etc on their own and we're not only talking about very simple um, loans we are talking about way more complex uh, stuff in the end. And a bank is more than only a gateway into the financial system. It's also a consultant. It's, it's a partner, right? You, you do things together. And I think this may not be underestimated that uh, this is um, a very, very important reasons why our customers um, like to work together with us, because they, they um, appreciate um, our consultancy, consultancy services uh, around, around financial um, issues and i think this was this is something that will that will also uh, remain in existence in the future
0: that makes a lot of sense and given the eventuality you say the last thing potentially you look at is things like securities markets looking at these other assets that you described basically that making the unbankable assets bankable what is what's the, what's the regulatory environment for a bank to get involved with those type of activities how do you how do you read that market right now? how do you read the regulatory environment for that yeah
1: so, so I'm mainly observing what's going on in Germany, and we have now um, maybe soon electronic securities in Germany, yeah. which, which are made possible. And we have, of course, the, the BaFin license, which allows us to um, offer a digital asset custody. So for us as a, as a regulated financial institution, it's, of course, the prerequisite to doing anything There needs to be regulation. We cannot... Uh, dive. In, and this is also why we cannot like become a big player in the DeFi space now because it's pretty unregulated currently. So sure. regulation always has to come first and then Deutsche Bank and, and also other big banks, of course, um, um, can follow. So, I mean, the regulatory space is something we're observing very closely. Also, for instance, the um, Mika regulation, the markets and crypto assets uh, proposed by the European uh, Commission. And we are, of course, also giving feedback to regulators, what, what we believe makes sense and, and does not make sense. And uh, that's, Currently I would say also for me personally and, and seeing what's happening within the bank, one of the most important uh, topics. How do we square this, this world and our business in this world with existing regulation?
0: And around you know the tokenization mark, how long do you think this takes to actually become a reality and to what degree is that part of the current business space? Or is that something, do you look at crypto and eventually the other one comes for free later on or how, how, how are you looking, looking at that?
1: Yeah, so, so I'd say uh, we are looking at both currently. The big advantage of the crypto market is, of course, the market exists. It's growing yeah. quickly and you can actually, you have a business case there, right? It's, it's very difficult to come up with a business case on tokenized art or tokenized real estate at the moment. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not talking about Deutsche Bank now, but I think in general for sure. financial, financial institutions, what makes most sense is, and I, what I can observe, most of them are doing this, start with crypto. Get used uh, with a technology, um, maybe start earning money in order to be then ready to go as soon as the this wider tokenized assets and currency uh, market kicks in. Because the big advantage, of course, is that the IT infrastructure, the underlying technology for classical cryptocurrencies and tokenized real estate is similar, if not if not identical, to a certain extent. So we can already start. Um, making or gaining experience in the crypto market, which will then be very valuable for this wider tokenized asset market. And and that's also something we need to understand in order to understand who will be our competitors in the future. And I'm talking now, now when I say um, we, I mean the whole banking sector, because I believe that firms like Coinbase will be a huge competitors for classical banks because they are already in the crypto space for, I don't know, seven or eight years. They know this technology, right? It's their business already, and they are trying to move into classical banking services. So I see them as one of the major competitors for the banking industry in the future.
0: That's an interesting point. Just earlier around the description of the evolution of the market, starting with crypto and moving into tokenization is exactly what we preach very much, because that's what we see our clients uh, do as well. Interesting comment about Coinbase. I mean, Coinbase is rumored to have, or we'll see when it actually goes for their direct market listing, potentially a $100 billion market cap. That would put it in the top 15 largest banks in the world. You no, know, everyone's we're talking about them as competition, and but their MA is heating up in the crypto space. Any risk Coinbase buys a bank, <laughs> or, is that, or is that just buying too much legacy baggage and they can they can reinvent that space?
1: Yeah, I mean, interesting, interesting point. I mean, I'm not sure if, if Coinbase has a, has a banking license already. I think they do i'm I'm, not not sure i don't want to want to say anything but i think i think this is something that is going to happen if they don't already have one i think this is going to happen and then actually i'm not sure if they have to buy a bank because they are coming from the from the crypto side and i think they can slowly um extend their product suite um towards um classical banking products but still of course in the dlt and crypto space i do not think that i mean i can't speak for coinbase but i do not think that they want to go in in the really classical legacy banking, I think it's, it's way more exciting for them to think about products in the, in the crypto space. And since we are also thinking about products in the crypto space, I think this is how we become direct competitors then.
0: Well, I mean, the valuation has definitely told them that, that they're doing the right thing so far. So that yeah, makes a lot of so sense. it's
1: it's impressive, right? It's I think it's a yeah. Goldman Sachs size roundabout, and that's that's really impressive, and it shows that they are they are doing a, a good job. So I mean, just congrats to them. It's 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 good to see that um their their business model is working.
0: So we don't have time for too many questions. One last here: so How is the identification problem? With crypto tokens on assets outside the blockchain can be solved. You know, have several when you have several tokens pointing towards the same asset. For example, um, is it a technological sort of solution or guaranteed by contract in the traditional space or regulation? I think it's really about tokenizing real-world assets, right? And, and ensuring they're not, you know, multiply done in multiple times we've seen the commodity commodity lending market, for example.
1: Yeah, so, so I think I think this is probably where uh, the trusted third parties come in, right? And I think mm. and that's, that's I'll, I'll make a general point because I believe this is important. When we talk about Bitcoin, Bitcoin can, of course, exist and work completely decentrally and without any trusted third party. And this is kind of where most of the people come from, I believe. But as soon as you connect the blockchain with the real world, it's almost impossible to make this work without any trusted third party it can be an oracle but in a lot of cases and tokenizing assets is, is one of the cases you will have institutions standing behind this you have someone who yeah. tokenizes this asset and there as soon as as real world comes into play and you want to connect real world with a blockchain there are trusted third parties which take over cert, certain roles
0: so there is a bridge of trust to the untrusted that makes a yeah. lot of sense yeah. well so i think that's all the time we have today it's been a- Pleasure talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show today. Um, can, given you have a podcast or the bankers are away, a way people can, how can they
1: find out about your podcast and how can they reach out? Yeah, so I have a website that's made, or you can simply Google Alexander Bechtel. Um, I, have a, I have a website with some information. The podcast, unfortunately, is only available in German. So at least for all the German speaking listeners, um, you will also find that on my, on my website. And um, otherwise, um, feel free to get in touch with me via, via LinkedIn. I usually try to respond as, as quickly as possible.
0: Thanks, Alex. It's been great having you on here. Thanks for having me, Seamus. Yeah. So uh, th- thanks for joining. The next uh, the next Metaco talks will be on April sixteenth because these are holidays. We're delayed a week. Um, our guest there will be Alexander Lipton. He's the co-founder and CIO of SELA. SEAL is aiming to overhaul the financial service world by using advanced APIs and distributed de- uh, ledger technology. That will be a one-hour special episode or special uh, special event of Metaco Talks hosted by our CEO, Adrian Ciccani. So to then, thanks very much for joining.